Welcome, my friends, again today. Welcome back. We are here live today. We uh, had a little technology snafu. Actually, it wasn't uh, a technology snafu. It was a human snafu. I must have pressed some wrong buttons this morning. I had to go back and totally restart the show. Uh, I think we've got everything correct now. Uh, and we do have a guest this morning, so uh, I'll kind of line up the day, then we'll bring in the guest, then we will get to your calls and questions. If you were, I was telling you to call a little bit ago, if you were trying to call a little bit ago, it wouldn't have worked. I had the phone lines set up all wrong. Uh, so we've got that fixed. The phone lines are open, 855 950 3835 is the number to join us. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to bring my guest right in and we're going to get started on this. Joining me today uh, is Todd Whiting, the Director of Product Development at Gearhead Lube. Todd, welcome to the program. Yeah, good morning, Kevin. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, sorry about the, uh, the little snafu this morning. You know, we. Um, we use a lot of technology on the show and in our company, and we were just out traveling. Lisa and I were out traveling for five days last week. We still do the show when we travel. So I'm really sensitive to making sure all the technology is going to work. And I even, for like the last, I don't know, three or four years, I've even had this app on my phone that monitors solar activity like, you know, solar storms and solar flares and um, coronal mass ejections and because that kind of stuff interferes with, you know, our communications and power grid. And, you know, I get warnings like every week. We get these minor solar storms just about every week. No big deal. They almost have no impact at all. This week, in fact, today, um, the first time I've ever got a moderate uh, warning, we've got a, a pretty big... Um, particle storm uh, hitting the earth right now. We had a sunspot, a coronal mass ejection the other day. It's the smallest you can have that that still counts as a CME, but uh, they are expecting even some power grid um, interruptions possibly in places. So I was all prepared today. If we had any problems on the show, I was going to blame it on that, but I screwed okay. it up. I screwed it up myself. So I can't blame it on that. We'll see. So after all that, um, we are talking about uh, some some pretty cool fifth wheel lube today. Why don't you tell us all about it? Yes. So uh, I think your listeners are quite familiar with the grease in a baggie concept. It's been around for, I think, about 30 years. Uh, you've been able to buy it uh, in your truck stops and, and order it for, for a long time. It's a very convenient uh, way to apply grease. So there's grease in the bag. You put it on your fifth wheel. The trailer smashes it, squeezes it out. So that's all good, that part of it. But, of course, you wind up with a plastic baggie as one problem uh, to deal with. And they wind up in on the side of the road and in people's parking lots and so forth. Um and then there's the question about the quality of the grease that's in those products, at least you know, from our uh, assessment of that. So the uh, that was kind of the uh, the driving force for trying to come up with a better solution for that. Uh, you know, and I do my own auto repair and stuff, so I've been using grease guns all my life. And uh, 
so uh, we we set about to try to figure out how we could uh, solve that problem. So we came up with this idea of making grease something clean and solid that you could actually hold on to, didn't stick to your fingers, but when it was applied to this fifth wheel problem, it would uh, it would do the job. And so, uh, so, so the essence of this is that it's it's uh, it's a solid form that you buy that's very clean, very convenient, uh, and it will transform into a regular sticky grease once the trailer has squashed it and you turn a number of times. So it's pretty much like the plastic baggies, but it gets rid of the uh, the litter problem uh, that is uh, inherent with that product. Not to mention, we have had people tell us that they definitely had that plastic baggie get into the kingpin mechanism, uh, and that's obviously not a good idea. Yeah, that would be a problem, clearly, but it's also a problem when it falls on the ground. I mean, let's be real. None of us like a bunch of trash around. We already have enough issues with that. We talk about it all the time in the truck stops because truck drivers today seem to be getting lazier and lazier all the time, and there's just more trash around. So the last thing we need is a product that we know is going to leave a piece of trash somewhere. So that that's, um, you know, at, at first I looked at this, I thought that's really cool. And honestly, I got to tell you, I've been around the trucking industry for a long time. I totally missed the whole grease bag thing on the fifth wheel. I didn't even know that was out there. I don't know how I missed that. But so when I saw your product, it was really the first time I had seen this concept of kind of throwing a bag. You know what? Now that I was talking about that, maybe I do remember years ago looking at a product like this and the whole idea of that bag left behind just didn't make sense to me i, I vaguely remember something now uh but yeah, so I, was talk, I was talking to a customer one time who rides a harley and he's a driver and he was saying hey i ride a harley behind these trucks <laughs> Some people are concerned about it. Yeah, we don't want bags flying around and laying on the ground. Getting in the fifth wheel would be bad. So that one issue alone, that you solved that problem, that it, I will tell you, you can pick this stuff up. It's not like chocolate. It doesn't get on your fingers. Nothing gets on your hands. It's great. You get a little box of them and pull them out, throw them on there, back under your trailer, you're done. You guys also really paid attention to the grease, though, too, right? Yes, yes, Uh so one of the key things about this is that there's no grease gun. So we don't have to put the grease through a grease gun. And uh, not to get into a lot of technical discussion, but uh, grease it gets very stiff when it's cold. And just about anybody's grease behaves that way. And we've run tests on our own grease guns. And none of your listeners may have different experiences, but it can be very difficult to get the grease gun to pump at all uh, when it's cold out. So we don't have to deal with that problem. So then we have the freedom to make the consistency of the grease, whatever we want it to be. And so we do make our grease thicker. Uh, so that, that that's a key factor in this fifth wheel joint. So when you think about it, you've really got two just flat pieces of metal. Yeah. Granted, there's some grooves in the, in the plate in the fifth wheel plate, but basically it's two flat pieces of metal. And so there's nothing to keep that grease in there, uh, you know, theoretically speaking. So the thicker, the stickier the grease is, the better its tendency to be able to stay in that joint. 
So uh, not having to deal with the grease gun has a direct impact on our ability then to make a better product. Uh, so the grease in a grease gun, you know, they have to deal with ball joints and U joints and, you know, other applications. But this is made just specifically for this. this. So um, the, the grease is also made from soy. So it's a soy-based product. And soy has uh, what's called polarity, and not to get into a lot of detail, but it does have the ability to bond chemically to the surface, to a metal surface, better than most petroleum products would bond. And this really gets involved in corrosion protection. So the, the thickness of the grease that I was talking about really is what lubricates the joint in, to, you know, uh, protect from the turning action, but those, the polarity part of it actually helps to try to protect the metal surface from corrosion because you get a lot of water and snow, of course, thrown into that joint like crazy. That That's a, a secondary benefit. All right. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about as we talked about this, when I, I you know, I went on our websites and groups and came on the air and said, hey, we're looking at bringing this product into our store. We want to get some feedback. And initially, some people said, oh, we've already seen that. So I came back to you guys and said, wait a minute, let me see your product and your research. And why is it different? And you guys did an amazing job of explaining that. And then I, the other day, I think there was a comment. Somebody said, well, why would I do this? I still have to carry a grease gun. Well, yes, that's a good thing. You should still carry a grease gun. There are other things on the truck we want to grease, but this is still quick and easy, much better than using a grease gun on your fifth wheel. And, you know, I got thinking about this. I, you know, grew up wrenching on cars when we used to spend a lot of time greasing cars. I can't remember the last time I used a grease gun on a car. There's almost no fittings left, if any, to grease on a car. Yes. You just don't grease anything anymore. And we've been heading that way on trucks for quite some time. I mean, I can remember 15 years ago, maybe even 20, using um, long life U-joints so that I didn't have to grease the U-joints at all. And they really, really work. You don't have to grease them. They're sealed. They last a long time. Um, I wouldn't be without those kind of components. And more and more of the truck components are becoming non-greased, even some of the front-end components now. And the one thing that's going to be left, I believe, is the fifth wheel. Unless they come up with some new alternative. I know I've seen like uh, silicon discs and some other things they use, but they haven't really caught on all that well. So we're going to be left with this one thing to grease on the truck. And are you really going to want to carry a grease gun around then just for that one thing? And I don't think we're that far off from that. I really don't. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's, those are very good points. And, of course, we're a little bit biased, but we think that people ought to grease their fifth wheel pretty often. More often. Yeah, there's nothing holding right. the grease in there. Yeah, more and, often you know, than I, other I've components. I've been through many, yes, yes. Now, here's, uh, what, since we're talking about grease, here's the other thing that I did years ago, and this hasn't caught on as well as I thought it would, but every truck I had owned since... 1995 that was the first time i put one on my truck and every truck i bought after that i put it on day one um there are automatic lube systems on the market that are outstanding 
and some of them will do some components on the fifth wheel, not the fifth wheel surface itself. That was why I got so interested in the U-joints because I had a system on my truck that greased all the available fittings except obviously the U-joints because they're spinning. The uh, steering shaft has a a U-joint and a fitting, so that one didn't get greased, and then you still had to deal with your fifth wheel. Uh, But I loved that system, and it virtually did, you know, what we've done with cars kind of took away the need for me to get under there and grease. It greased itself all the time. And every truck I ever had with that system went a million three is usually when I got rid of my trucks. Never, ever touched a grease component anywhere. If you keep these kinds of components greased all the time, they almost never wear out, including the fifth wheel. Sure. Yep. All right. uh, You'd have to to tell me on the reliability of those systems. I think that's always kind of the knock on on those systems, uh, whether they're durable or not. I probably had six trucks if i remember right by the time i got rid of my trucks i think i had had six that had that system on five of those six had gone past a million miles the other one was still fairly new and i can remember one issue with those systems none of them ever quit working or ever had any kind of a failure they they just worked i had one time where a uh, one of the grease lines Uh, got cut or split or something and it was no big deal the first time I did my daily pre-trip you could see a little pile of grease sitting right there by the by where the line failed because it just piled up and stayed right there and we replaced the line that was the only problem I ever had with the system okay so interesting what I, I saw I was reading through um there was a really good article from the uh, from the truck show that uh, you guys sent over to it, and I was reading it. Um, there's also a product that the uh, the rail industry uses. Yeah, so uh, well, we have a, a sister company that manufactures soy-based products, both lubricants and actually household cleaning type products. So uh, we we do manufacture a uh, a dry lubricant for the for lubricating rails on the railroad rails. Uh, so that was also part of the genesis for this grease pad idea was that we did make a product like that. So it kind of helped in the thinking process. Got it. You know, I, I, I am looking through here. There's some uh, questions here on cost and like I am big on controlling cost in business. In fact, I was one of the few people in the owner-operator world that for decades have been saying, stop focusing only on your revenue and focus on your expenses as well. You have to do both. But if all you ever do is focus on revenue, you are wasting so much money and leaving so much money on the table. So I'm, I'm big on tracking your costs, doing everything you can to lower costs. I have to say, I have never once considered the cost of grease. I, I, I just don't, I, you can't measure it in a per mile calculation. It's too small to even, it doesn't come up to pen, a penny per mile in the overall life. So I see there are some things in here about cost and it's, you know, we can certainly talk about it, but I have to say, and I'm a stickler for cost. 
I just don't think I've ever taken the cost of grease into consideration. Yes, and, and, and products, uh, we, and you are doing it on, on your store, you know, we're offering small quantities for people to try it. You know, we understand that. It's important for people to, to like it you know, yeah, before exactly. they buy it. But but we, we do offer higher volume discounted pricing like anyone would, you know, for larger quantity purchases. So, and, to, and with today's shipping costs, it's very difficult to ship, you know, one small item. So, I, yeah, that's uh, that seems to be getting worse every day too. Holy cow! All right. Well, this is a, we're we're glad you guys reached out to us. We're excited about the partnership. We just think this is a, a great product for our store. It's uh, it's one of those things everybody with a truck needs. You, you should be greasing your fifth wheel more often. This is a super convenient way to do it, and really a better product, better grease, better better stiction it's holding on to the parts better um so just overall this is one of those products when i looked at it i thought well this is kind of a no-brainer why wouldn't i use a product like this and and we're uh, to, to your point on stickage you know we are getting reports numerous reports of people saying that they're using less grease with our grease you would think so, so. yeah good yeah good and bad for us of course but um uh, and they should see that. I can't promise that to everybody that uses it because it does depend on how heavy the trailer is. You know, on the average, are you pulling a really heavy trailer all the time? But it, it will in that joint longer, you know, other things considered. One other quick thing to mention about keeping the fifth wheel lubed is front tire wear, steer tire wear. So there's a lot of people that are aware of that connection between the friction and wheel joint and how it impacts your front tire wear uh so we're working with some people on evaluating that now if you're a if you're a driver and you you know lubricate your fifth wheel regularly you're probably okay so part of the idea of this product though is that you know it's easy for everyone (laughs) so even drivers that really don't want to do it you know make it real easy keep it lubricated and it's going to stay in the joint longer and you probably will see longer uh, front tire life. So, so the value of the product could be well worth much more worth what than you're paying for the product. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, the, the convenience and the quality, like I said, grease cost just has never been a consideration for me anyway. That's why this product just makes so much sense. One of the things we like to do um, here at Let's Truck, we have lots of partnerships around the industry uh, and you're one of our newest partner companies. We like to kind of synergize between all of our companies. We're all in the same industry. We're all serving the same customers. And we like to use the power of synergy to make everything better. So you brought up this idea of could we actually measure an improvement in front tire wear? Well, our other show today uh, that comes up after I'm done today is called Rolling Toe. Uh, kind of a weird name, but if you know alignments, toe in, toe out, um, it, it's all about alignments. Um, Mike and Kevin Beckett, a father and son team, do the show for us. And I met Mike Beckett probably 30 years ago. Uh, Mike and I were both out on the road doing seminars for owner operators. He was talking about alignments and tires. I was talking about business and taxes and um 
we got to know each other and he's been an awesome resource for me for years. The guy knows more about truck alignments and tire wear. He's, he's developed his own alignment system. Um, super simple. You carry the thing around in a bag, portable alignment system that blows away the hundred thousand dollar alignment racks every time. I mean, it's, so I will reach out to him and maybe we'll put you guys in contact. And if you want a resource to, to know whether this is really a true issue, how much uh, improvement there might be, um, Mike would be the guy to talk to about that. No, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put you in touch. We, we like to do a lot of that. We, we like to get our, our partner companies together because, like I said, we're all in the same industry serving the same people and we've... Uh, We've, we've created a lot of good stuff by doing that. So um, I appreciate you coming on and joining us today. And uh, we'll, we'll reach out. We'll get you in touch with uh, Mike and Kevin Beckett. It's MD Alignment. And um, looking forward to, uh, to a long partnership. And we're excited to have your product in our store. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. And we, we hope uh, our customers will at least give it a try. We We've got some great testimonials uh, out there. So uh, people that really try it and use it, they, they seem to really, really appreciate the, that convenience. Excellent. All right. So head on over to our store at letstruck.com and grab some. Todd, thanks again. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, take care, Kevin. Thanks. All right. Take care. All right. So uh, let's see. Oh, we actually had a question about the grease pad, and I just saw it as I clicked uh, clicked off there. So, Rod, I'll come to you in just a minute. Hopefully, I can answer your question uh, since I got rid of our guest. Uh, you know what? Let's just go ahead and grab it right now. Uh, Wisconsin. Oh, Rod, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Good yeah, morning. Yeah, I actually had more. I don't think you'll be able to answer. It was more <laughs> to do with. I had a question for him. Okay. Uh, hey, it was. There was going to be some praise. Um, I was. I did try their product when uh, CDLife.com did an article for them. I tried it back then. The ease of it, the cleanliness of it, all that. Yes, very fantastic. I, I however, found different results in their cleaning. It seemed a lot more viscous and didn't last as long as normal grease i typically drop my trailer once a week grease my fifth wheel so i know about how much should be on there and how much is usually left when i do it right yeah seemed to wear away a whole lot quicker and i don't know if it had to do with the temperature outside because it was in summer it was hot out and it is a soy base so it is once it's on your fifth wheel it looks like almost the consistency of gear as opposed to grease okay I don't know okay. if that was it. And I was going to ask him if he had any thoughts on it. But. We'll reach out to him. You know what? I am, I'm struggling today. I don't, well, we just got back from off the road, and we thought we were going to be out on the road longer. We decided to come back last night instead. Um, so I'm going to blame it on that. But uh, I had a caller last week that asked me a question, and I was going to call them, and then I thought, wait a minute, we're going to have them on in the interview. I'll just do it on the air. Um the question was whether it was compatible with all the other greases on the market. I've never found any two greases that weren't compatible. Sure. And like I said, the idea was awesome. I love the idea because you can throw it in your side box. Carry, cause with like the little grease pads, I, I don't use them normally. I 
when I grease my truck, especially I have a battery power grease gun, I use the red and tacky. Yeah. So I grease yeah. it with that. If I do in a pinch have to use one of those, I also have a, I actually carry a, um, not a spatula, but like a tape, uh, mud knife that you use for oh, drywall yeah. knife, drywall yeah. putty. Yep. And that's what I actually use to keep my, keep my, uh, grease all nice and smooth when I put it on there. But I also would use those pads. I would slit it open and pull the grease out of the, out of the pouch and throw the pouch away because yes, I <laughs> right. had heard of people getting those pouches caught yeah. in the locking gear. I didn't want that to happen. Right. Um, I just didn't like the mess of those. So that's how I avoided that issue. Got it. Um, Got it. But yeah, I mean, if there was something that maybe the temperature outside had to do with it, maybe becoming more, like I said, more viscous, it had the consistency of gear oil. Yeah. On top of the fifth well, is what I felt. We will, uh, we, we will reach out and check on that. Are you a member of either one of the tribes? No, I just have just, I don't do that. I just follow okay. on, uh, I'll try to, yeah, I'll try to mention it. The, the tribes are nice. Cause every time we have a question like this, we can follow up on there and do it, but, uh, I'll try to get an answer and I'll, I'll, uh, talk about it here on the air. One quick question for you. I don't know if you'll have an answer sure. or maybe sure. if Joel's listening. We, you guys have mentioned, so I called you one time about the high um, oxidation. I have a 2017 D13. Yes. And for the past, I don't know, three years, my oxidation has always been, my samples come back great, except for my oxidation is always like as a level four. Is it, is um, this on extended drains or does it happen right away? No. Well, it happens right away because okay. up until my warranty ran out, I did change my oil every 45,000 miles. Okay. Um, after my warranty went out, I went up and had Jim put a uh, OPS act on it because I had one on my last truck. Good. Good. And it's still even at, even at that. It's, I'm at 75,000 on this oil, and it came back the same way. It came back as hot. It's getting from 35, 50, and 75,000 miles. Hmm. And it's a level four. Yeah. Um, let me see here. I'll tell you. Pull the sample up. You might be able to do it. I'll try not. Uh, so my last four samples, last five samples, are 34, 35, 37, 36, 38. Okay. Of the ABS. It's consistent. Whatever. It's very consistent. What? Oh, it's 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 what, consistent. It stays the same all the time. What brand of oil? I run mobile the ESP, the full synthetic mobile one, the full synthetic mobile. How how much of an inconvenience? I've ran in this. Yeah, how much of an inconvenience okay. would it be to run Rotella full synthetic one time? Possibly when I go to dump the oil next time, I, I considered that. The reason I say every now and then we, we run across weird problems that don't make sense. A, a, an engine that's been creating a level four oxidation all this time and yet nothing else has shown up or gone wrong is just odd. In order to oxidize the oil that quickly, that severely, it's got to be a lot of heat somewhere. We're exposing that oil to an awful lot of heat somewhere. But when I get these weird kind of things that we can't 
really explain or it's not making a whole lot of sense just as a troubleshooting step because it's usually not that big of a deal if you're going to change your oil anyway just throw a different brand in there i'm a big fan of rotella it's easy to find it's priced well it holds up really well to a lot of things I, i would just any other troubleshooting we try to do for a problem like this could get really expensive and we may not find anything at all. So this is a step that really doesn't cost you anything at all. I would probably do that before I even tried to figure anything else out. Yeah, because I mean, in other, everything else on this sample, this sample had 62,000 miles. Now, my iron was high. It was before, but during this time frame, I also had lost the camshaft, and they had to go in and put a new cam in it, um, um, which is a problem. Problem yeah. with Volvo's, their yeah. camshafts are garbage. But my can't my oh, my iron was a seventy four, and my nickel was a three, and my lead was a seven. Other than that, nothing was flagged. Everything was it was severity zero. Yeah, you know the interesting thing when when we lose a cam in any engine for some reason, you don't pick it up in the oil sample. We had this problem with the ISX when they had all their cam issues, and we thought for sure we'd be able to figure out a way to see it in the oil sample. And we can't. The difference between the cam issues on the ISX, but the difference between the cam issues on the ISX and the Volvo, because I had an ISX that I lost cam. Those (laughs) would actually pit out the lobe, ruin the lobe. The Volvo, what it's doing is it it just twists the lobe on the shaft. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's even harder to because see. You Volvo's, won't see that in it. That's almost like a well, yeah, catastrophic they're a failure. Ho- they're a hollow. Yeah. Exactly. They're a hollow tube that has the lobe pressed onto them, and then it just moves it just a little yeah. bit, but enough to throw it out of sync. Yeah. Got it. Um, I would try just, let's just try a different brand of oil just to see what happens. And then, honestly, if that doesn't work, I might just deal with it. Just live with it. Uh, You know, oxidation can cause a little bit of degradation in the oil, but we just don't see any other major problems. I've run oil that's been heavily oxidized, you know, for another 100,000 miles, and it doesn't seem to cause any problems. Let's try another oil. Um, Matt just uh, sent me a text with an interesting idea. Is it possible that your compressor is running too much, your air compressor? Uh, no, because I had called you one time before. I had just, I what I felt prematurely, lost my air compressor. But I have since changed the oil since my air compressor went out. I uh, lost my air compressor back in April and had to have a new air compressor put in. Okay. And since, since April, you did an oil change and the oxidation came right back? Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's interesting, though, that you actually lost an air compressor because that is one of the hottest spots in the engine sometimes. And what they told, what the mechanic told me on my air compressor is there's uh, some sort of a clutch in these ones that the compressor was still working, still spinning, but it had lost. There wasn't enough pressure in it to force the clutch out to engage the whatever works on the Volvo compressor. Right. Okay. It's almost like it's not a gear-driven compressor like the Peter, like my Cummins had on it, that this is more clutch-actuated yeah. internal. Uh, I, I'm, I'm almost wondering if at some point this is still going to come back to that compressor. 
I would, I would at least let's. I hope so. I mean, yeah, exactly. I will say, uh, I've had, and I'd have to go back on my file now, but I would say since probably about a because I bought truck new, probably since about a hundred and fifty-ish thousand, hundred and seventy thousand miles. That's when my oxidation started coming up, and it's been high ever every sample since. Yeah, even though I weird. changed my oil and didn't have an OPS, I ran, a, I pulled the sample every time I did my oil. Right. Right, which is good, uh, and I'm glad you did because we have all this history now. This it's odd; it really is. I just uh, it's not making a whole lot of sense. Uh, may end up coming back. But it did make to, me feel better when Joel made a comment a couple weeks ago that Volvos are traditionally running higher oxidation. It, it is true; we do see it more, and you know what? It, it may be because the way we're starting to set these things up now is successful. Remember, one of the things we're trying to do, we're trying to keep more heat in the engine. We want it to run hotter. That's what's helping all the emission issues and keeping the emissions running so well. So that that downspeeding, we know that increases heat in the engine and we actually want it to. And it may turn out that when we keep enough heat in the engine to keep our emissions happy, we may end up oxidizing the oil. And it's also possible, and I may know this soon because I'm getting ready to do a a project on this. We have a new oil API coming out again, uh, a new API classification. And maybe that's part of one of the changes. Maybe they are increasing the ability for the oil to handle more heat. Yeah, because, I mean, mine's not a full downstead like the TC's. Mine is an XE version. It's like a 264 with an overdrive. And at 68, I run 1,200. Yeah. So I'm so still you're, running higher than, yeah. considerably higher than what Joel runs on his. Yeah, not a, not a true downstead, but, but a, lower, a lower RPM, right? And we're still yeah. keeping more heat in the engine when we do that. And maybe, and knowing that Volvos are kind of oxidizing oil more than other engines, um, that may be why. That may be a good sign that it's working. We're keeping enough heat in there. We're not having emission problems. We just need a different additive that will allow this oil not to oxidize so easily. But yes, as to go back to your initial suggestion, I was going to, when I did this last oil change, when me and Jim put the uh, OPS on, I couldn't find any shell Rotella at the time. Or, okay. Uh, yeah, I couldn't yeah. find Rotella at the time. Got it. And I've ran mobile, this one and my last truck, I ran it for 800000 in my last truck. Yeah, you and know, I... I had very good luck with it, that's why I stuck with it. I, I tell people all the time, pick whatever oil you like. I, I don't care if you like it because of the, you know, the design of the bottle or the label. Just pick an oil as long as it meets the API classification. Use whatever criteria you want. Price, convenience, you like the color of it, whatever, and just use it. The oils are so close that it's next to impossible to say one is absolutely better than another. And I have even found engines where for whatever reason, and this is why I tell people when we have a weird problem, try a different oil at least once. And every now and then we find that certain trucks or certain engines seem to do better with a certain oil, but I've never found a consistent pattern. I can't say that every time this happens, we solve the problem with Rotella. Sometimes Rotella is the problem, and we solve it with mobile. 
or some other oil or so there's never been any consistent pattern but we do occasionally find that we have a weird issue we change the oil the weird issue goes away and nobody can really explain it but if it works and proof proof of that is my first truck i bought had seven hundred thousand on when i bought it my company always ran dello my truck and it would burn a gallon of oil about every six thousand miles five thousand miles and I didn't have the money to do an in-frame with that shit. So my mechanic at the time like, just try and change oil. That's yeah. when I went to mobile and immediately went up to 10,000 miles a gallon. Yeah, we, we have seen weird things like that, and nobody will ever be able to explain to you why. I've talked to oil engineers. They say the same thing. No, it's not consistent enough. We don't see any patterns. But we do know we've noticed the same thing. So... It's an easy attempt. It's an easy troubleshooting step. Try a different oil. See if we get different results. Okay. All right. Well, that's all I have. All Thank right. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Uh, I had some calls up there. They disappeared. So if you want to jump in right now, phone lines are open. It is a free-for-all. You can call about anything you want. 855 855- nine five zero three eight three five uh i i had a bunch of stuff i was gonna open with now i kind of get a get my head around it again um the economy obviously is one of the most important things we're talking about today and unfortunately um I try not to get too political on the regular show here the hour a day, but sometimes you just can't help it. Um, Being the fact that our economy is the single biggest factor in our lives today and what's going to happen with our economy. And for the most part, we're pretty convinced it's not going to be good. Uh, We're just hoping it's not horrendous. We're hoping for a fairly typical kind of recession that is not a big deal but there are some concerns that it could actually be much worse and tuesday after i got off the air um president biden signed the horribly named inflation reduction act what an absolute joke there is nothing nothing about this bill that is going to reduce inflation nothing in fact several organizations bipartisan nonpartisan non-political economists accounting groups have looked at this and said if there's any change in inflation in the first several years it will be an increase in inflation Even the Democrats themselves now are admitting, oh, no, we never said this would bring inflation down anytime soon. Well, yes, you did say it because you named the bill the Inflation Reduction Act. You said it. It's in the name. And it's a lie. It's a complete lie. And it's going to really, really hurt the middle class and and the poor the worst. More taxes, more taxes on corporations, which just gets passed on to us. More IRS agents, more government spending. You can't tax and spend without increasing inflation. Inflation. 
You don't tax and spend when we're in an economy like this. But they did. I, I just, I, I, I had really thought that we were going to make it to the midterms without any more stuff like this, but we didn't. They got it passed and nothing we can do about it now. Every time I hear somebody interview them and say, well, how is this going to lower inflation? The first thing out of their mouth, every single time. So you know this is all they got. Well, it lowers prescription drug prices for seniors. (sighs) Seniors, sure, seniors on a fixed income today are having issues, which is a problem in and of itself. In my world, we wouldn't be supporting seniors with tax money. We would be teaching young people how to manage their own money. It is a crime. It's a sin that in this country, with all the opportunities we have, that people make it to retirement and they're still dependent on the government. That's just wrong. But our government did that. Starting in our government indoctrination centers, our schools, they want people dependent on them. That's the whole point to all of these programs. It shouldn't be that way. We should not be needing to help seniors right now. They've had an entire lifetime to get their financials in order. Says we don't teach them how to do it. But we're the only thing they can say that is actually going to lower the cost is seniors, healthcare, prescription drugs. What about food? What about energy? What about housing? What about rent? That's what's killing middle class and young, poor families are getting hammered. And this will change none of that. None. In fact, it will probably make it worse. All right, calls started to flood in. Let's, uh, let's grab some. Are we really heading to Jackass Mountain in British Columbia? Murray, are you for real? Uh, absolutely, Kevin. Absolutely. Jackass Mountain. It's, it's not a town. I, it's it's a place. Yeah, yeah. A place. All uh, right. I I don't know if you've ever heard of. Go ahead. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Fraser Canyon. No. Okay. Well, if you head east from Vancouver, about an hour and a half, you have three highways to choose from. <clears throat> you have one that goes east, one that goes east by east and one that goes north. If you take that north highway, highway one that, that they built way back at the turn of the last century, um, that was the old trail. And we have two railroads that run through the bottom. It's a, it's a very steep gorge of a Canyon. We call it the scenic Fraser Canyon. And it was the road that, that first opened up the interior during the gold rush when everybody came from Northern California, from California to Alaska to find their fortunes in the gold. And there is this trail or used to be there was, and it was the gold rush trail. And we have all kinds of these little scenic lookouts up here on, on this particular road and others where things of history have happened. And and at the top of this mountain, you kind of climb up this hill and around the corner and then you down the other side. And at the top, there's a pullout with, with a, a plaque there, and it tells this little story about this guy was on his way to Alaska with a donkey, an ass, 
and uh, loaded up, and this this donkey wasn't behaving properly, and he got pissed off and shot the thing and shoved it into the canyon. <laughs> and it was a jackass. So there's the name of the mountain. Like we have all kinds of these little little places along the route. So yeah, well, I a little north of Boston Bar. Long, long time ago, I knew a girl from West Virginia, and she claimed that she came from Booger Hollow. So I guess we can have Jackass Mountain. <laughs> well, I have been in the States and seen some pretty weird names down there, too. <laughs> so, uh, um, now, yeah. one, one more anyway. thing, since we're, since we're talking about that part of the world, which I absolutely love and haven't been to in a long time and really want to get to again, um, I, I don't pay attention to this stuff anymore because it makes me crazy. Do I still need to be vaccinated to cross that border? Yes, you do. But that's why I'm not coming. Yeah. And, and, and I can't say I blame you. Uh, and, and you have to fill out the app. Our, our, our powers that be, our incredibly intelligent SOB communist leader that we have running our country uh, has decided to put an app in place when they reopen oh, the border. No. So you have to. Oh, hell no. Yeah, you got to fill out this app, and you and you guys, how who you are, and where yeah, you're coming from, no. and do you have the right that, to cross, and yeah, blah, blah, that, blah 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 blah. As much as I I love you guys up there, and you've got a beautiful country, and I wish I could come back and explore the West and the islands up there. We were just we were close. We were just up in Bellingham and yeah. uh, Ferndale, and um, but I I just can't cross that stupid imaginary line on the planet because I haven't been jabbed. Yeah, well, don't don't uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, we we did get the jab because we plan on going to Mexico, and because the job I had was crossing the border at the time. Yeah. So, so my wife, wife and I did get it. We we have had COVID. We got a, a, a had COVID September of last year, <clears throat> and with it came pneumonia. Now the, the COVID I kicked pretty fast, three, four days. I was over that, but I could not get my fever down. Yeah. I couldn't break my fever, get it under, under a hundred degrees for over a week. And finally she sent me to the hospital. She couldn't take any more. She called the ambulance and sent me to the hospital. Oh. And, and uh, at the hospital, he said, Oh, you've got pneumonia. <laughs> oh, <well>, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I spent three weeks trying to, trying to kick that. And that is hard to come back from. I'll bet. But, you know, it, it took me a good month before I had my breathing back. I would, I would get up and go from the couch to the kitchen, and I would, and my, I would, I'd be out of breath. I'd have to stop and stand for a minute to catch my breath. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was, since we're uh, since we're no, jumping from topic to topic, and now we're on this one. This was one of my other notes <laughs> this morning. I. I am positive. I have been reading headlines for this show for fifteen years. I, I've, I've done my show the same way from day one. I get up, I read headlines, I put my notes together. I've been doing it. It's like I can do it in my sleep. And I absolutely do not remember. I'm so sick of reading these articles. And as soon as I read the headline, I know what won't be in the story. Here's the headline. Uh FIU, I must be some university, which what university? Florida International University linebacker Luke Knox dead at 22. No reason or cause of death. 
Why do we have so many young athletes just dropping dead? Why do I have to read these headlines constantly anymore? And there's never an explanation of how or why they died. And there's never any explanation of their vaccination status. Yeah. Well, because they don't want us to know what it really is. No, they I don't. Think somebody knows. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, the most obvious reason is myocarditis. In, in young males, it's very, very common, and we have an awful lot of young male athletes just dropping dead. Yeah. I think COVID was an experiment by Fauci and others, other people that are above the government. I think it was an experiment, and I think the people who ran that experiment are giddy with excitement because it went better than they ever planned. I think it's all about population control. I think it's about people control, government control, and, and it was a test. Why else would we run, why, why else would we shut down the world for a cold I, exactly. and not even a bad one? Exactly. And I say that having had it. Right, right. You experienced it. And I, well, you know, we've talked about all the mistakes. We made. Yesterday, that I heard the CDC say, we're going to focus on the elderly and the and the the at risk. Oh, really? That, yeah. you, that's what we were telling you to do back in 2020. It was that obvious, that fast, that this was really only dangerous to really old people. And I'm not talking just old people. I'm kind of an old person. I mean, really old people, like people who were probably going to die this year anyway, and then they got COVID and died instead. And, and yet we ignored yeah. them. We, we, we sent them all together to nursing homes so they could spread it around to each other. Yeah. And well, then, you and I were saying back when this, when this all started, you and I and others were saying we should have done like Sweden did. I think it was Sweden or Switzerland, one of the two. Protect the old and let everybody else live life. Exactly. Leave everybody else alone. Don't be jabbing five-year-olds that are never going to die from this. Don't be jabbing 20-year-olds that aren't even going to get sick from this. Let's protect the old people and the people who are really metabolically sick because we know it's really bad for them. We, we could have saved so many more lives and we could have saved our economy. And that, like you said, um, there may be some people who believe this was wildly successful. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. I, I just can't see any other reason for it. But um, well, they're not listening to us. Or if they are, they're laughing at us. Yeah, exactly. All right, Murray, the calls are piling up. I'm going to cut you loose there on Jackass Mountain. And we're going to head, uh, well, we're coming right here to Oregon. Keith, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I missed most of the show this morning, but my question is about um, the report that the freight rates for flatbeds is down 39%. And the rate itself has gone down in the toilet. It's under $3 a mile. Any, yes. any idea in your crystal ball of what, where that's headed? Lower. <laughs> no, it, that's it, the I, wrong answer, Kevin. No, absolutely. And let's, <laughs> let's talk about why. One of the big reports I read this morning, Do I, I think I may still have it up here in front of me. Uh, let me give you this quote. Um. I'm going to find the right, uh, I didn't make good notes this morning. Um, here's why we, we have to worry about that. On a, 
the sentiment among builders in the housing market tumbled in August to the lowest since the beginning of the pandemic. Builders are not building homes. They're canceling homes. Buyers who have already contracted to build homes are canceling the contracts. Building is coming to a screeching halt, and that's what drives the flatbed market. Right. So, yeah, I can, if you're asking me to predict, I can only predict it's going to be lower. I don't see anything that's going to save the flatbed market right now. I can put a refrigerator box on top of my trailer. Might not be a bad idea. Um, you know, the, the, the thing we know, and, and that, you know, there really are commodities and, and freight that's kind of recession-proof. We, we've always talked about there are certain industries that are kind of recession-proof, and then there are industries that are really vulnerable. RVs, for example. I'm, you know, kind of looking at RVs and watching the market. We may upgrade um, only because I think there are going to be some killer opportunities in the next year or so. So we're starting to watch now. Food, on the other hand, is kind of inflationary proof. Everybody's got to eat. So, yeah, it, we kind of look at when things are really bad, um, the the reefer market probably takes the least amount of a hit and flatbed now here's the other thing when when we had the big run-up and we've had these really good years who was almost always on top which segment flatbed that'd be you yeah, yeah, so, you, so you, you just, you know, we talk about this all the time. Think about it like a roller coaster. And we can even look at segments in our industry. The roller coaster for flatbeds, that first hill got really, really high. But guess what? That just means you've got farther to fall. So can you put an electric motor on the refrigerator so I don't have to listen to that machine? <laughs> yeah, I, there is a uh, fully electric uh Reefer on the market now. Wow. I don't know if you can buy it yet. Might I'll have to go to... look. I know I, I read some some uh, some stuff on it. I don't know if anybody's actually buying them yet or not, but it, it's we're really close. Okay, one other question, if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead. Um, I've been looking at some of the different options. Last night in Oregon, it was over 100 degrees at midnight. And raining, which was that was bizarre. Weird. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, trying to cool my cab. Um, but the only option I have right now is running the engine all night, uh, which I don't like to do. Um, any preference on which way to go? Somebody said I could put a, um, a an air conditioner above the and under the fairing on the roof of my five seventy nine, and run that with a Honda generator. Uh, you can and that's the cheapest option if you want the cheapest and and it's effective i mean it, it you you know we're talking about you know good size room air conditioners you can run with this thing and think about a typical bedroom you know or a room where we might stick one of these window air conditioners in there's significantly right. more airspace in one of those rooms than there is in your sleeper so these just a, a basic room air conditioner will get your cab cold enough to hang meat. And, and then the generator sure. will run it as, for as long as you've got gas. So that is the cheapest, effective option. Works really well. 
Um, it's not totally plug and play. You got to kind of fabricate some things and put some things together. But a lot of people have done it. And they're very happy with it. And it's, it's inexpensive. The biggest downside for me on that option, um, really about the only downside, maybe the noise, that probably wouldn't bother me too much. The Honda generators are pretty quiet. Um, just that, just the inconvenience of hassle of getting gas. That, that would be the biggest downside for me. Right. I agree. Um, and so do you know of a particular brand that would go underneath that, that bearing? No. And actually you've got a couple options. You can do a back wall unit too. There are some really nice back wall units out there. Um, so, and again, you're going to fabricate. We're going to have to cut through the cab to do this, but, um, there's, there's lot, this is what I mean by it not being plug and play. We, nobody has right. really said, here's a system that fits really well on this truck and here's how you mount it. Here's even a mounting kit. Nobody's really done that yet. So when it comes to a system like this, it is really inexpensive. You're, you're not going to spend much money to put this system together at all. And it is effective, but you, you just got to kind of fabricate it yourself. Right. I saw something um, on the internet. It was like almost $8,000 was a, um, a solar system with a, um, a unit you, that, that connected to that. And that's, that's pretty expensive for me. It, it is. Now, if you look at a, a traditional diesel-powered APU and an air conditioning option, you're probably at twelve to 14000 today. I mean, they're really expensive. Yeah, so the, the electric APUs now on the market with an air conditioning option, they're, they're starting to be really effective, but they're, they're still expensive. You're gonna, like, like you said, it's about eight grand uh, for the couple that I've looked at. And you can probably do the, if you're doing the work, the whole Honda generator thing won't cost you a thousand bucks. Right, yeah. And that's certainly an option. All right, sir. Now, one one other option you may want to look at if you have the room inside and you don't want to, you know, cut into your cab, there are the room air conditioners that just vent to the outside. So you actually put right, the, I've seen those. You, you could use those like too. Like the four-inch hose. Yeah, I know people who have done yeah. that. So now you're not, no real fabrication here. You put your generator on the catwalk strap it down fire it up stick your room air conditioner inside the cab plug it in stick a hose out the window and you're done someone said that that haunted generator has to be in a box in california you know anything about that uh, who cares it's california screw, yeah. <laughs> screw them <laughs> Okay. I have no um, idea. I, then, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it has to be in a box and be certified by Gavin Newsom himself. I don't know. Right. So then, so obviously the option I'm using now is idling the truck. And I, you know, you really have no choice when it's 100 degrees at night. Exactly. Um, right. And, 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 and look. Using the catalyst is pretty yeah, if you're going to idle a lot, I would absolutely use the catalyst. Even on, you know, we talk about some trucks today. If they're specced right, if we're running them in the proper RPM range, we're keeping the heat in the engine the way we should. There are some trucks on the road now that won't need the catalyst. That will be able to keep their emissions clean. The Volvo, the way Joel sets it up, is probably one of our best examples. The Max, the way Jamie Hagen sets them up. We, we've, you know, we've figured out 
how to keep some of these things running really well. But once it's specced wrong, which most trucks on the road are specced wrong, um, and some uh, some of these engines aren't built to do that. I mean, we can't downspeed them and keep the heat in the engine. It's just, we're just not able to because of the architecture. And in that case, the catalyst sure. is the answer. Well, I'm using it. I'm I'm sold. It took me a year or so to fig to to believe in it, but now that I've started using it, I I won't stop. So. That that's pretty much what I heard from just about everybody. So it, it you know it took me over a year before you know we talked about it, but I never really came out and said yes. I'm convinced this stuff works. It took me about a year, but the 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 feedback was overwhelming. It really was. Okay. That's all I got today. That's all I need. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Kentucky. Danny, welcome to the program. Hey. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Um, okay. I am driving a, a 2003 Volvo 770. It's uh, kind of like that? a little extended road test. Uh, come out of Northwest Ohio. It was on uh, truck paper. It's an old U.S. Express truck. Okay. Uh, I still have my '99 with, uh, but it's just a six ten. I like the room in here. Okay. You get up Good. in the morning, you fix your coffee, and you just sit back there at the dinette, <laughs> kind of debate whether you want to go driving or just sit there. And that's right. But that's right. It's got it's got the auto shift with the uh, clutch, which I like. I don't like the two pedal. Oh, so you you've got the, the you have the this is an Eaton three pedal auto shift. What year is this? Oh, three. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was gonna say, boy, I can't remember the last time I saw somebody put a. <laughs> three pedal i didn't even know if they were still making them so it's an 03 all right how many miles are on this thing um not sure hundred and oh, a million thirty some thousand something like that I, it's kind of hard to read the uh i would run this probably more you're right if, yeah if you're thinking about buying this one i would run it through rig dig just to make sure if it turns out I've that, already done it. Okay. Can you figure it out or no? No, it doesn't really tell you. If, if the U.S. Express had it, I'd, I'd have to go look because I did it a few. So, yes. But, uh, sometimes. No, I've, if, I've, I've if, already. If the vehicle didn't transfer enough times, like if it had one owner for a really long time, sometimes it's hard to figure out if the mileage is accurate or not. The more times it gets transferred, the more data points we have and we can figure out whether or not that's the true mileage or not. Yeah, every time it's had uh, three or four, I think. Okay. But it does have, the ISX, the 450, but there's no EGR, so it's the the first generation, I guess. Okay. Which, we, and I know you, I've heard about the cams. You know, I don't. See, I'm thinking here. I, I don't think the cam was an ahead. issue in 03. I don't remember that cam issue happening till after the emissions. 
I, in fact, I was about to say the early ISX. You know, we kind of made that transition from the N14 and the other engines into the ISX right before emissions. And Cummins had designed the engine for that reason. They knew the emissions were coming. The N14, they had some issues trying to make it really um, clean, that clean. So the ISX was their design to take them into the emission era. But I, so we had the ISX for a couple of years there with non-emissions. I don't remember any problems with that engine. I had a, a one W9L big studio sleeper. And it had a, a 450 in it. I had it turned up to a 500. And that thing would pull. This truck here does a good job. Here's the crazy thing. With that 10-speed auto shift, it's got 336 rears. Ooh. Ooh. Um. It, it, it still pulls good. Yeah. I mean, but you can cruise at like 65 you're only at fourteen hundred, and which I've heard that's about where you want these, right? Thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, yeah. It's you know twelve fifty is probably about the bottom for that engine. Thirteen hundred would be if I were going to pick an RPM on that engine um, that I wanted to stay at the most time would probably be thirteen, but fourteen's not that far off. I've been playing around trying to figure. I've only had a couple of fill-ups, and it was in the six five, six seven range, uh, pulling a flatbed, and so I was kind of thinking. I I posted up in the group, uh, nine plus group, and you know if anybody had a similar spec truck, and that's what they said about six. And I asked about all you can expect, which well, hold on. I would have expected you, at least seven. Yeah, Danny, you and I both know if if everybody says six and a half is what you're going to get, and you drive it, and it's six and a half to seven, um, that's an eight mile per gallon truck, easy. Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. If you if you're getting six and a half now, to it, seven it, already, and we haven't even done anything to it, that that's easily an eight mile per gallon truck probably eight and I'm a half thinking, would be well, my see, goal. it was a cheap truck i didn't pay a lot for it good but it was at a dealer they got it from a title loan place that a guy <laughs> took his truck and trailer and never picked it up so there was a lot of maintenance oh, that this man. thing needed right but it 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 runs fantastic. I mean, it, it rides, Good. you know, and great and probably could use the overhead run. Absolutely. I figured if he lacked Absolutely. all the other stuff, you know, I, brakes. And, might be one of the first things I would do on that is have somebody tear into the top end. I've actually, I've seen, I had a truck one time, I don't know, Detroit, and I had the overhead run and, and heck, it was half a mile a gallon. Every once now, I had it done, and that that ISX is pretty sensitive to having the overhead set right. 
So, yeah, I, I would that you will probably see a significant increase there. I have a feeling, like you said, this thing needed a lot of maintenance. The last owner of this truck was in such bad shape. They had to put it up for a title loan. They were not doing overheads. I can guarantee yeah. it. And this was back in uh, January or February. I, I bought the truck right after the truck show. I went up and looked at it. And when I got home, we hopped in the pickup and went up to, uh, I forget, there's a Volvo, Iowa. I can't remember the town. There's this little small one. Huh. And, but I, on the way home, I stopped and had all the filters changed. I had an oil sample pulled. And I figured there was a, oil probably hadn't been changed in forever. Yeah, probably. So the oil sample come back good. I was surprised. There wasn't anything, you know, really too. That's a, that's a well, really good sign. I, I think you found a gem yeah. here. I'm going to run it here for about a month, get about 10,000 miles on it, and um, do another one so I know for sure how many miles I've got and, and I'll call and let you know what what it turns out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you found uh I think you found a keeper here. Yep. I'll keep you posted. Sounds good. Thanks Take for care. the call. You too. Let's head off to New York this time. Brandy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. Um I'm fascinated by the geomet uh, metro Magnetic storms. Yes. And you, I thought you said you use an app. I do. And I have my stuff on Google Play, and I wanted to see what that app is so I can put it on my phone. It is called Solar Alert. I think, Solar if, I, Alert. if I remember right, oh, no, I'm thinking about a different app. Never mind. Um, I can't remember if there's any kind of subscription to this one. I think there might be. Uh, but I, it, it couldn't, okay. have been, yeah, couldn't have been much. And I've had it for years, so I really can't remember. Uh, but like I said, I've had it all this time. And almost every week, you'll get a notice. There's a minor solar storm coming. There might be, um, you know, increased activity of auroras, aurora borealis, the colors in the sky. They'll tell you, you know, they'll right. even, the, the app even shows you maps where you could expect to see the auroras, which is kind of cool. It gives you, uh, it monitors the, um, the status of electrical grids all over the country, even around the world, I think. So when an electrical grid goes down for any reason, they monitor the status so I can see when electrical grids go down. I mean, the, the app has got, they cram so much stuff into one app, it's pretty incredible. But this was the first time I've in, like I said, I, I've had it a couple of years, I'm sure. This is the first time I've ever seen a moderate storm hit. And I believe... Let me open it up. I believe it might be hitting right now. Uh, is it a space weather app? Uh, it, it is. No, that's what we're out. talking about. This is all space weather that we're talking about. But when I look at my right. app, it actually says the name of the app is Solar Alert. Okay. Well, I got Solar Flare Alert in my search. Let me, let me see. Go. I'm opening the app. Um what is the let me see so if I can alert. find an about here. Alert. Solar alert app. Yep. Yep. We are 
There is a solar event arriving on Earth right now. Yeah. And I have an Android phone, so maybe it doesn't. I I don't see it. Uh, let me. Um, so you're in. You're. Let me go in the Google Play Store and see if I can find it. Because I, yeah. it'll be easier. Because I know what kind of what the icon is supposed to look like. All right. So yeah, let's see if we can go figure that out. Because this is a pretty cool app. All right. So here's the search solar alert. See what pops up here. Huh. Um. Wow. I'm not seeing any icons here that look anything like the one I have. Right. This Let me. First um, one is space weather, sun alarm. Let me go check um, Apple. Don't see anything. Let me go check Apple. Um. Just that I. You would think almost every app is on both, and it's. I will say though that we if we probably spend eighty percent of our development budget on Android and twenty percent on Apple. I mean that's it's just crazy how much easier it is on Apple because you don't have three hundred different devices. Um, right. Let me just well, let me just go to the app store on my phone. I don't just do that. That'll be easier, and see what it looks like when I go to the app store itself. Uh, solar alert. I do belong to Healthy Tribe and and Trucking Tribe. So well, thank you. If for you that. could take a picture, well, you're welcome. All right, so. Here's what it came up with. Let me go try that in the Android store. So it popped up and it says solar alert, protect your, what is that saying? Protect your life is kind of their, um, uh, protect your life. Let me try putting that into the search in Android and see if it helps. Uh, you know what? I'm telling Angie, I'm, my my Google just gives me news feeds, but I've always been fascinated by astronomy and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, this is I, I I I know when I talk about this kind of stuff, like the grid going down completely, and we talk about you know um, EMFs and all the other stuff that could happen, and yeah, I know that people think that's like black hat black helicopter, tinfoil hat, conspiracy theory kind of stuff. And, you know, whether or not somebody like North Korea uh, is going to hit us with something like that or Russia or China, that's a possibility. I, but people have a hard time wrapping their head around that because that's never happened. So they don't want to believe that it could happen. I get that. You should look well, I at, think it's because they just put up these these new satellites that now can measure this stuff, and this this is in the face of climate change. It's like, well, what about the sun? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, so, but here's the thing: I understand why people just want to kind of ignore that idea that somebody could explode a, a nuclear device up in the atmosphere and take out our power grid. We don't know for sure right. a lot of stuff about that. We know that it could happen, 
We don't know what kind of things might survive, what might not survive, because it's too hard to test something like this. So I know people just would rather not think about that. But when we talk about solar flares, this is a completely natural phenomenon. It's not political. It's not, you know, black helicopter stuff. It's just nature. We know that these things exist. We've even been hit by a couple of them. The biggest one was in the 1800s, the Carrington event. And all we had it at the time, for the most part, was a telegraph system. The telegraph system was fairly new. And it kind of destroyed parts of the telegraph system. Uh, the little operator thing, it whatever it was, those were catching on fire because they were overloaded with electricity. And those kinds of things happen often. The reason they don't always have an impact on us, and most of the time they don't, is if you think about the way the solar system works. We got the Earth spinning and circling around the sun. We have all this movement in the solar system. And think about, think about how tiny of a target the Earth is compared to space all around it. So there are CMEs coronal mass ejections coming off the sun all the time even some really big ones but if they don't directly hit us then they're no big deal so we don't get hit with them all that often but it's just a matter of time it, it happens we get these CMEs quite often. Eventually, everything lines up just right, and we're going to take another big hit on Earth. They predict if we had a hit like the Carrington event, it would take down the entire electric grid in whatever part of the world got hit directly. Because remember, that thing could be heading for the Earth, but the U.S. could be on the other side when it hits, or we might be in the direct path. Right. So just because it hits the earth doesn't mean everything on earth explodes. It's localized to where whatever was pointing towards the sun when that thing hits, it's going to happen again. It's just odds. When will it happen? Nobody knows. But when it does, we are so dependent on electricity now in our electrical grids and all of our devices, everything, our food system, our power systems, our water systems, our sewer systems, delivery that, systems that of gas, pipelines. That's you told me about. Yeah, yeah. So I, the, yeah. the good news is that with a solar flare, we at least get a couple days of warning. Yeah. And that's why I have the app. That's why I monitor this kind of stuff. But I, I keep searching. I can't find that app for Android. Okay. Well, I'll see if I can do a, a Google search outside of the Google Play and see if it if anything shows up. You say you have to pay for it, but that's okay. I, I think this I read fascinating. Yeah, I may even pay some sort of of a subscription on this app. I'm not sure, but if I do, it's probably just a couple bucks a month or something. Um, I, I it's it's right. a really yeah. really interesting app. I mean, you even get like pictures of all the auroras that are happening around the world which is pretty cool and um there's just some some really does it have an icon stuff. that 
that's recognizable. The I, the one thing I will tell you about the icon, let me go look at it again and see if there's something else that the one thing to me is it's very, very orange red kind of. Um, and it does the orange icon, and red. Okay. The the top of the icon is is like the sun. And right below it, you can kind of see the earth and, and lights, city lights and things like that. And like I say, their okay. tagline well, is... That'll help. Yeah, the, the, the way I would search is solar alert, protect your life. That's their tagline. Okay, I'll do that. Well, I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right, we are... We're out of calls. Uh, what do I have going on still? Um, I didn't have any notes today. Actually, all my notes were in my head today. I'm, uh, I'm a little scattered today. I need to kind of regroup and reorganize. Um, one of the things I was going to talk about today, but I think I'm going to hold off on it. Um, I, I'm just going to do some some really big picture general stuff on kind of money management and investing um, throughout this this time we're heading into with so many unknowns. Um, so one of the reasons um, Lisa and I were traveling, the big reason was uh, the wedding. Um, but we love that part of the world up there around the San Juan Islands. And um, my investment strategy has changed over the years. And right now, we're really, really going to focus on on real estate investing uh, for a lot of reasons. So we were up there kind of looking at property and we pushed it a little long and we were going to go look at another property last night and then it got late and we, we have a lot to do. So we thought, well, let's just swing by the house. Um, we'll probably get back out on the road here soon again. But uh, I just want to kind of talk about some general investing strategies and help people out with uh, how they should be looking at what they want to invest in. Um, I, I have a, some notes I want to finish on this, but in general, there's really one investment that I'll talk about where you really don't need to know much. We can make it so simple that, you know, once you have your plan put in place, you just put it on autopilot and forget about it. And that's probably where most people should be investing their money for the future. And I'll talk about that specifically. Then almost every other thing we could invest into, whether it's real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrencies, art, um, classic cars, I could go on and on and on. There are, you know, collectibles like coins and things like that. All of those things can be investments, even jewelry sometimes. I mean, it's not a great investment, but it because of the precious metals. Um, there are other things to invest in other than the stock market or mutual funds or the typical things we think about. The difference in all of those things real estate, cars, whatever, is there is a big learning curve. You need to be knowledgeable in those areas or you will get destroyed in investing. So that's why for most people, unless you're willing to put in that time, you should probably stick with something like 
the stock market and I'll tell you exactly how you can invest into the stock market for your retirement without knowing anything. I've been helping people with that for decades. And if you just want to stick your money someplace and be able to forget about it, not have to think about it, not have to learn and not have to keep track of things, that would be your best bet. The other areas can still be really, really good investments as long as you understand them. Um, So I don't know when I'm going to do that show. I think uh, both John and Joel are confirmed for tomorrow. And oh, good. Joel wants to talk about the same topic I was going to talk about tomorrow. Um, The new international engine. Uh, I need to do my homework tonight. I haven't had time to do my homework on it yet. Um, Sounds like Joel already has. So... I guess I could just depend on Joel this time if I don't get to it. Um, we'll probably be talking quite a bit about that. I'm, I'm interested. If I get a chance to go read about it, I want to. If not, I'll, uh, I'll get updated by Joel as well. We, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Oh, okay, Brandy called back and she found the app. Good, good. Um, Brandy, maybe uh, go ahead and post it on uh, Trucking Tribe or Healthy Tribe or both if you want. Uh, When we talk about things like this, other people have the question. They're probably looking for it as well. So if you would post that, Brandy, that would be awesome. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. Rolling toe is good for, wait a minute, noon. Oh, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Perfect. Thank you. All right. That is coming up in just about 30 minutes. So stay tuned for that. Last week, I asked you to get your calls and questions in early for these guys. You know, when I need calls, I tell you, I need calls. Call me. Pick up the phone. Join me. Um, Mike and Kevin sometimes just start, you know, There's two of them. They go off on conversations. They're not always reminding people to call. So I'll remind you, jump in early, get your calls and questions lined up for them. That's in about 30 minutes. Rolling toe with Mike and Kevin Beckett. They will answer all of your questions about um, tires, alignment, handling, wheel bearing adjustment, all those things we always talk about on rolling toe. So we will see you then. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.